Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to everyone who has joined us in church this morning for worship our triune God. We also extend a special welcome to all visitors who have joined us today, here in church or remotely via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God be praised and glorified by our worship. This morning service will be led by Brother Jack Van Dongen. And before we commence this service, let us sing together hymn 65, verse 4. confess to the words of Psalm 124 that our hope is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Amen. Congregation, let us praise our God by singing Psalm 121 or verses.
At the foot of Mount Sinai, the Lord gave his people his law so they would know how to live before him. It is also through the law that we come to know our sin and guilt so that we may turn to Jesus Christ who kept and fulfilled the law for us. Let us now listen to that law as it comes to us in Exodus 20. And after the reading of the law, we will sing Psalm 18, the verses 1 and 10. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's.
Let us now unite in prayer and ask the Lord for a blessing over this worship service. Gracious God and Father, we come before your throne of grace to give praise to you and to glorify your holy name. Your name, O Lord, is indeed worthy of all praise and adoration. For you are the one who created all things. You spoke and it came to pass. Out of nothing you created this earth, the sun, the moon and all the stars, countless in their number. The whole universe is such a display of your awesome might and majesty. Yet the crown of your creation was not the beauty and splendor of this earth or of the universe, but it was us, mankind. You made us for your glory, so that we could live in a right relationship with you. We heard your law again this morning. When we heard your law, we once again realized that we have not lived in a right relationship with you. So often we do not love you as we ought, with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. And more often than not, we do not love our neighbor as ourselves, for we are by nature selfish people. Often our own needs and wants are at the forefront, instead of loving you and serving our neighbor. Oh Lord, we confess our sins and we are sorry for the sins with which we have grieved you. We pray, please forgive and restore us into a right relationship with you. We thank you that with you there is forgiveness of sins. Through repentance and faith in your beloved Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ, we may be assured that yes, our sins are forgiven that you remove them from us as far as east from west extends. Lord, we thank you sincerely for the grace and mercy you have extended to us. Please bless the opening of your word this morning. Work powerfully in our hearts with your Holy Spirit. We confess that from ourselves we do not want to accept your word. Renew us, therefore, by your Spirit, and soften our hardened hearts, so that we may accept your words. Strengthen us, therefore, in speaking and in listening. Grant that nothing may distract us from hearing your word. May we lay aside all thoughts that may divert us from carefully listening to what you have to say to us this morning. Grant your blessing, O Lord, and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will now open God's Word, and our scripture reading this morning is from the Prophecies of Habakkuk, chapter 3. You will find this on page 935 of your guest Bible.
Habakkuk chapter 3, the word of God. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to the Shigeonoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and on, earth, and on the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the internal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers, or your indignation against the sea, when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place, at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury, you thrashed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows, arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled to see with your horses the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. And we now respond by singing the hymn that is based on our reading this morning, hymn 14, the verses 1, 9, and 10.
text for the sermon is from Habakkuk chapter 3, the last three verses of this chapter, verses 17 to 19. We'll just read these verses once again. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. In response to the proclamation of the Word of God, we will sing hymn 64. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus, in about, say, 14 hours, the clocks tick over midnight and we enter into a new year. But in the final hours of the year 2023, who knows what the new year is going to hold? Things might go well for you. There might be many good things in store. But things could also go pear-shaped. You just don't know. You hope for good things, but there's always a level of uncertainty, isn't there? The prophet Habakkuk lived in a time of uncertainty. There was just huge economic and political instability. He was a prophet to whom God had revealed a coming storm of judgment on the land. The day of reckoning was coming. No one knew the exact time, but when it would arrive, the consequences would be severe. But in the face of that, God's prophet takes an attitude of faith. As we face the uncertainty that comes with a new year, it's good for us to pay attention to God's word for us from Habakkuk this morning. I preach it to you with the following theme. What does faith look like in the face of an uncertain future? We'll consider the serious uncertainty faced by Habakkuk and the sound reasons for faith. Habakkuk lived in the 600s and 500s before Christ. As he looked around him in the land of Judah, he saw corruption and oppression. He called out to the Lord to set things right. And God responded and said that he would through the Babylonians. God told Habakkuk that the Babylonians would come and destroy the land and they'd be his instruments to discipline or chastise his people. When Habakkuk complains about a more wicked pagan people being used to 
punish the wicked people of God, God answers that also the Babylonians would get their due. All of that takes place in chapters 1 and 2 of this little prophecy. When we come to chapter 3, we find a prayer. Basically, a psalm. It's modelled along the same lines as the psalms of David. For instance, the psalm ends with an inscription, given an instruction on how the psalm is to be played. Much like many of the psalms begin with such an inscription. In this psalm, Habakkuk stands in awe of God and his deeds of salvation and judgment in times gone by. He especially reflects on God's deliverance of Israel through the exodus from Egypt. During that time, salvation came for God's people, with wrath and judgment were poured out on their enemies. In verse 16, he comes to the present and the approaching storm. When he thinks about it, his heart pounds in his chest. His lips quiver, and he feels the fear even in his bones. His knees knock together. The coming judgment on God's people is comparable to the judgment that their enemies faced in the Exodus. It's going to be a day of calamity when the Babylonians arrive. Now to understand the seriousness of what Habakkuk was facing, you have to know something about the Babylonians and their reputation as fierce warriors. When the Babylonians invaded the land, there was little or no mercy. Everything in their path was destroyed. So typically, they ended up laying siege to the major city or cities where the people would seek safety. In a siege, the walls would be surrounded and no one could get in or out. Sieges could last several years. And in that time, food would be in short supply in the city. And eventually, people would be starving, and many would resort to cannibalism. Eventually, the desperate people would surrender, and the Babylonians would sack the city, killing most of those who waited out the siege and carrying the rest away into captivity. You can see, by having the Babylonians invade your land, was something that make any Israelite's knees knock. In verse 17, Habakkuk introduces us to another practice of the Babylonian armies, their scorched earth tactics. When the Babylonians would invade a land, they destroy everything along the way, setting fire to the fields, chopping down trees, poisoning wells. They did everything in their power to ensure that the enemy would be on its knees for a long time. We call this practice a scorched earth tactic. And it's been done more often in history. Just think way back to 1991, when Saddam Hussein set fire to all the Kuwaiti oil wells. Habakkuk knows 
that when the Babylonians invade, they're bringing their axes. And the fig trees are going to be targeted. Fig trees not only provided tasty food, they also provided shelter and shade. The fig trees came to symbolize the good life. Dwelling under your own fig tree was an image of safety and prosperity. For instance, we're told in 1 Kings 4 verse 25 that during Solomon's reign, every man dwelt under his own fig tree. Fig trees took a long time to grow and to bear fruit. If they've all been cut down, it's going to be a long time before anyone is enjoying any figs or finding any shade. Same with the grapes. This is the fruit on the vines in verse 17. If there are no grapes on the vines, because they've all been cut or burned, that means no wine. And in the Bible, wine is associated with joy and gladness. For instance, Psalm 104 verse 15 speaks of wine as something that makes the heart of man glad. When the Babylonians show up, that is gone. Olives are mentioned next in verse 17. They were one of the most valuable trees in ancient Palestine, particularly for their oil. Olive oil was valuable for food and cooking, for lighting lamps, for medicinal purposes, and much more. Even in the best of times, the oil harvest was unpredictable, and if there was a poor olive season, often poverty would follow. According to Joel 2, a good olive harvest was a sign of God's blessing. Now, unlike fig trees, when an olive tree gets axed, new shoots right away start springing out from the stump. However, it can still be a long time before the tree starts producing fruit again. And those are going to be hard times. The Babylonian invasion would also have its impact on the fields. Either the people would be confined to the besieged city and unable to tend the fields, or the Babylonians would burn the fields, ensuring that there'd be no crop. Either way, the fields won't be producing. As for sheep and cattle, many of them will be slaughtered by the Babylonians, and those that aren't are going to be wandering here, there, and everywhere. Habakkuk portrays a scene of economic and societal devastation, a crisis of huge proportions. This wasn't just a recession, or even a depression, but a holocaust. How is anybody going to get through that when it happens? Then we get to verse 18. I will rejoice or exult in the Lord. And we find these verbs just seem so out of place, so disconnected from what precedes. Habakkuk says that even in that worst case scenario, he is going to exult in Yahweh in the Lord. That word for exult indicates an enthusiastic 
an expressive rejoicing. There is no reluctance here whatsoever. This is no holds barred rejoicing. And this word is used elsewhere in the Bible. It's God's character. It provides the reason or the basis for jubilation. That leads us to ask, what is it about God's character that gives Habakkuk a reason to rejoice? To have this positive attitude of faith towards God, even in the midst of the worst adversities, adversities that God himself brings on, what is it about God that can help us have that positive attitude of faith no matter what happens? Well, look at the next line of verse 18. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That first word, rejoice, wasn't expressive enough of this joy. Then he adds this other word, I will take joy. Literally, it means that he'll shout with joy. Again, this isn't a forced reaction. This isn't the joy where you force a smile on your face, where you sing the happy songs because it's your duty, an obligation, something you are expected to do. Instead, this joy that Habakkuk writes about, it comes from the heart. It's 100% sincere not mixed with any pretension. And the basis is there in those words, the God of my salvation. With those words, we have to go back to what Habakkuk had been writing earlier in this psalm. God was the saviour of his people through the Exodus, the salvation event par excellence in the Old Testament. When Israelites reflected on the fact that God was their saviour, they think back to what happened at the Red Sea. How God wiped out Pharaoh and all his armies with a wall of water. God saved them. But all of that wasn't the ultimate deliverance. Believing Israelites recognised that God's saving work was to be fulfilled in the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. God would save through the coming Messiah. The Christ would be the fulfillment of all God's promises and then that be salvation not from human threats but from the greatest divine threat, God's eternal wrath. Habakkuk says that reflecting on the fact that God is his saviour is what gives him the ground for rejoicing, for shouting, for joy. Now remember that Habakkuk lived before Christ. He could only see the promises and the prophecies. He didn't know the reality. Here we are, some 2,000 years after our Lord Jesus was on earth, and we can look back at what the Bible says and know that almost everything has taken place. Everything happened according to plan and the result was salvation for everyone who believes. Through Jesus Christ we've been forgiven, we've been reconciled to God, we've been received into his family. 
Through Christ, we have the assurance of God's love for us, that he will never forsake us. If Habakkuk, knowing what he did, and relating to God in the ways that Old Testament people could, if he could say, I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation, if Habakkuk could say that, what about us today who are far richer? Loved ones, that challenges us with some questions. Does our joy in life depend on our, on our outward prosperity? Even if everything in our life goes wrong, when all those external things are endangered or taken away, are we fully persuaded that our lives are in God's loving hand? Do we believe that we are God's children? Jesus himself sent a letter to a New Testament church in Revelation 3. He said, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Sometimes God's children need to be disciplined. Can we accept that from God's hand with faith and even with joy? Commenting on verse 18, John Calvin provided some helpful direction. He said that sometimes signs of God's wrath meet us in outward things. Some of these signs have to do with chastisement for God's children. Some of them have to do with punishment for the wicked. And some of them are both. But when that happens, Calvin says, we have a remedy, a way out. He says that we are to consider what God is to us inwardly, for the inward joy which faith brings to us can overcome all fears, terrors, sorrows, and anxieties. When we come to the last verse, this attitude of faith is encouraged again. Habakkuk says, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on my high places. Before the sermon, we sang from Psalm 18. I don't know if you noticed, but verse 19 is a direct quote from that psalm. Take note of that. Habakkuk is faced with a crisis, a holocaust. Tough times are ahead. Times filled with much uncertainty. And he goes to the book of the Psalms for encouragement. He gathers words of hope and confidence from the Psalms. The Psalms are God's covenant prayer and songbook. Through the ages, God's people have always turned to the Psalms for the words that capture not only their joy, but also their sorrow, their concerns, their anxieties, and even their anger. The Psalms are there for you, to give you the words to lead you in prayer and in song. Brothers and sisters, 
Let me encourage you to pray the Psalms, to use them in your personal devotions as a guide for prayer in whatever circumstances you find yourself. Use the Psalms, especially when you have a hard time finding the words for yourself. That's what they're there for. Use the Psalms. And as we, read, as we read, pray and sing them, we do so with our eyes fixed on Christ. All the Psalms refer to him in some way. He explicitly said in Luke 24, 44, that the Psalms speak of him. And so it is also with Psalm 18, as quoted by Habakkuk here. Let's see how that works. Habakkuk was encouraged by Psalm 18 by the knowledge that God is his strength. When everything around you is falling apart, you feel more acutely your weakness and your utter dependence on God. You are weak, but he is strong. Yahweh is the one whose strength never fails. He is a rock and a refuge. But what does that strength look like? How does it play out in the life of a believer? Habakkuk says that he makes my feet like the deers. And deers are nimble, fleet-footed and graceful. When danger approaches, they can take off just like that. So things may be going to pieces around them, but Habakkuk is still going to be on his feet. He's confident that he's not going to be just barely standing, but he's going to be able to run and keep going. The danger may be there, but the crisis and all its uncertainty won't be able to hurt him in the ways that really matter. And finally, he says, he makes me tread on my high places. High places are places of safety. Places where the danger cannot reach. God will put him there, above the fray. He's certain that even in the midst of this crisis and all its uncertainty, God's hand will be on him and under him and with him, guiding him. That was the hope of an Old Testament believer faced with imminent disaster. As New Testament believers, we can share that same perspective of faith, that joy, and even thankfulness in the face of adversity and uncertainty about the future. <coughs> Habakkuk says, God is his strength. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 24, we read that Christ is the power of God. And in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul relates how he learned that God's power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says he embraces weakness so that Christ's power would rest on him. Echoing the words of Habakkuk, Paul says he delights in weakness, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The new year might bring adversity. There may be difficulties. 
When faced with troubles, we need to rest and trust in Christ, who is our strength. And there, in Christ, we will find joy, delight, and the resources to be thankful, even when times are tough. Loved ones, looking to Christ, we can be sure that no trouble can hurt us in the ways that really matter. Looking to Christ, we can be certain that God will put us on high places where his loving hand will be on us, under us and guiding us. In Romans 8, Paul writes about all kinds of crisis situations. There are troubles, hardships, persecutions, famine, nakedness, dangers, swords, you name it, it's there included in all those categories. But God gives us deer's feet. He makes us walk on high hills. Paul puts it this way, No, in all these, <coughs> in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he adds that there is nothing at all in this world. Nothing. No sickness. No financial troubles. No family difficulties. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ we have the guarantee of God's love for us. And so we can rejoice from our hearts. We can even shout for joy. Even if everything else is taken away from us in this new year, we will always have Christ. We will always have God's love for us in Him. Again, we don't know what the year ahead may hold. No one but God knows. Loved ones, whatever happens, remember who is in control. You don't know the future, but you know the one who holds the future in his hands. Remember who your God is and what he has done in ages past. Remember that he is your saviour, that he is your strength, that he is the one who loves you and will carry you through. And all of that is guaranteed through our Lord Jesus. Amen.
Let us unite in thanksgiving and in prayer. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for your word of promise to us that you will always be our saviour and our strength. We praise you as the one who makes our feet like those of the deer, who makes us walk on high places. Father, we thank you for your love guaranteed for us in Jesus Christ. We have every reason to be thankful to you, to rejoice in you, even to shout for joy to you. Even if the world falls apart around us and we lose everything in the year ahead, we ask you to give us more grace so that Habakkuk's constant confession of faith would be ours. Teach us to be joyful, thankful and faithful in all circumstances of this coming new year. Whatever happens in our personal lives, in our families, in our church, in our nation, we pray that you would help us always to acknowledge you. We pray, Father, that you will continue to guide the events in the world around us. We pray that if it is your will to chastise us with adversity, that we would recognize this and that we will learn from it the necessary lessons. We thank you that you've given us the Psalms. It is the Psalms that you've given that we may sing in times of joy and prosperity and in times of sorrow and adversity. Give that we may always treasure them. Father in heaven, we pray for your congregation here on Southern River. Be with us and care for us. At this time of year, many of us may enjoy a period of rest and some holidays. Be with those that are away and are traveling. May it be that we never take a holiday from serving you. May it also be that during a period of rest and relaxation, we continue to focus on you and walk with you day by day. We pray for those that are alone or lonely. At this time of the year, it is often felt so much more than at other times, when loved ones whom we have called home are no longer there. Be a father to them and grant that they may still have the inward joy of belonging to their faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. We pray for the elderly in our church. Please be with them as their earthly tent breaks down and they experience the frailty of older age. We bring before you our brother Ben Scoof, who will need some surgery this week Wednesday. Considering his age and frailty, that won't be easy, and we pray that you will surround him with your loving care. We bring before your throne of grace all those amongst us that have to deal with sickness and pain. Be near to them, and grant them the sure knowledge that also in pain and sickness, your loving hand remains with them, on them, and guiding them. We pray for this world we live in. When we look around us, we are astounded by how much in the last few years this world has forsaken your good laws and has sought to overturn them. And we wonder, how will it go for us in the future? Will it be that our freedom to serve you in accordance with your word, or that our own schools will be taken away from us? 
We heard this morning again that you are in control and that the future is in your hands. We know that so well and it is a great comfort. At the same time, we plead with you that our government may make good laws that will allow us to serve you freely and that will allow us to educate our children, your children by covenant, in accordance with your word. We give you thanks for the school year that is now past and we pray that teachers and students alike may have a blessed time of rest so that next year they may refresh, take up their respective tasks of teaching and learning. May also through this a new generation arise that will live to honour you and give glory to your holy name. We give you thanks for all the work that will be done by our missionaries in PNG in the past year. Thank you for the work of Pastor Ryan Young and Pastor David Paul, and also for their wives for being their support, and also for the work that they do. We thank you for the support that they could receive from Brother and Sister Ben and Miranda Vandercombe. Please continue to be with them all during the coming year. Also this year, Brother Tim Slark will be ordained to the ministry. We thank you, Lord, and we pray that he may soon commence his task in P&G. This morning we may give all our first fruits of the work done by Pindari. We ask you for a blessing over there, over that is done by Pindari, in assisting men to overcome their addictions in life. May it be that through the testimony of those that assist them, in this, they may come to know you, the one and only true God, in Jesus Christ as their Saviour. For it is only through Christ that we can truly overcome our addictions. For we have to confess, O Lord, that we are all addicts. By nature, we are all addicted to sin. It is only by your grace and through the atoning work of our Saviour and through the work of your Holy Spirit within us that we can overcome our addiction to sin. We pray, be with us on this day of rest. Grant your blessing. And may it be that also this afternoon, for the last time this year, we may come eagerly and joyfully into your presence to worship and praise you and to hear what you will have to say to us. O oh God, please lead us and guide us for the glory of your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Christ we pray. Amen. The thank offering this morning will be for the Ministry of Mercy, specifically for Pindari. After which we will rise and sing in conclusion Psalm 56, verses 1, 4 and 5.
lift up your hearts unto God, receive the blessing of the Lord, and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.